You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, good morning, North Valley. Great to be with you guys this morning. My name is Ryan. I serve as the lead pastor of the church. We are starting a brand new teaching series called This Is The Life. And, uh, you know, it was just a couple of weeks ago, I was in the backyard with Leslie, and uh, her, I was, we had the, we just got a hammock. We laid it out on the, on the back. We just got the kids to bed. It was now about, it's about 8.30. And so, you know, we do our date nights, uh, oftentimes Wednesday, Thursday, whenever we can get a chance and we just got the kids tucked in and she was laying on the hammock and I was there and the, the, you know thank goodness just kind of the heat started to let up and we we're just like enjoying just this beautiful uh, skyscape of uh, the Sonoran Preserve out there back here and my wife leaned over to me and we had all the kids to bed and you know as a busy mom and a busy young dad and we're sitting there, and she says to me, this is the life. And, and then all of a sudden, we hear somebody scream, get out of my room! <laughs> and I'm like, oh, let's farkle for that. Who's going to go get the kiddo? Uh, you know, as we talk about this is the life, um, it's interesting. We did a study in the North Valley to kind of figure out what people thought about, about where they find like their greatest uh, uh, source of life and what their highest hopes or desires or ambitions are. And, and we have a, there's kind of six different categories where uh, North Phoenix ranks higher than the national average in these areas. The first is achieving a long-term financial security. Uh, in this community, we really care about our financial security. That means that we're paying off debt. We care a lot about that. And there's this idea, if we can be really uh, stable and strong financially, then possibly we could experience a greater level of life. And so, you know, there's this idea of achieving this long-term financial security. It's not just paying down debt, but it's establishing a retirement plan, all of those things. Uh, that's higher than average in this area than the rest of the country. Additionally, there's finding time for recreation. You know, like you, you I, I partially, I moved out to this area in the North Phoenix Valley because I love the mountains. I love the, the trails, the parks, all that stuff. And this North Phoenix Valley has this high hopes and high desires that if we can get more time for recreation, then it's going to bring a greater level of satisfaction and desire. Achieving a fulfilling marriage, you know, a marriage that's not just maintaining, but a marriage that is not simply surviving, but a, a marriage that's thriving. And we think uh, more about that than most people do in the country in this area. Developing parenting skills. It's a lot of young families are moving in. As you look at the 303 being established on the I-17 just north of us, the next few decades will be marked by significant growth. And there's lots of, lots of families coming in with kids and trying to figure out how to parent. And for many of you that are, you, you are grandparenting, but you feel like you're parenting your grandkids. And this parenting issue is a big deal in our community, more than the most of the country. And then again, it's achieving educational goals. A lot of us in this community really they have a higher rate of uh, degrees and emphasis on education. 
But here's, here's the caution. The caution is, is that if you achieve these areas, that you somehow think that you will arrive and have the life. And this morning, what we're going to see is that uh, in 1 John is uh, the author, the apostle John is going to say, while those things might be great, the greatest source of life is in Jesus Christ. The hope for this series, over the next 75 days, roughly 11 weeks, we're going to be walking through the book of the 1 John. My hope is, is that you grow in life with God and in life with each other. Uh, together, we're going to learn through weekly messages. I'll teach uh, through the First John book, uh, 11 different messages, uh, walking verse by verse through the book. There'll be additionally, there'll be daily devotionals uh, on your smartphone. You can, tomorrow morning, you can pull it up and everything that's being taught here on a Sunday morning, the following day, Monday through Friday, you'll have a daily devotional ready for you. And I'd say oftentimes at North Valley, I never preach from the pulpit what we don't first teach at the home, teach at the table. And so these daily devotionals, my hope and intent is that you experience more of the life that God has for you and desires for you uh, in the coming weeks. Together, we're going to experience life in community. I encourage you to not to do life alone. The neighborhood groups are starting up. We have those all throughout the different neighbor, uh, core neighborhoods in this area. And you can so easily miss out on the life that God has for you if you forget and you try to do things by yourself. Um, Just uh, after first service, I have the joy and the privilege of one of my uh, neighborhood group members uh, knew that my wife was out of town this weekend. And she said to me, Ryan, I know you have three kids. Do you want me to take some of the kids and and I can take them home? They went through first service. And it was a neighborhood group member. And honestly, you know, like maybe you're like me, but I don't have a lot of family in the Phoenix Valley. I don't have any. Uh, they're all back in the South, Texas and Arkansas. And so the church has become like my family. And it's really interesting as we're going to look in God's word today is that what the Bible teaches is that when you become a Christian, that you get a new father, a heavenly father. And then, then you not only get that heavenly father, but you have this family called the church, which is fellowship, and you have brothers and sisters in Christ. And this gal is like, man, she's like, she's like an aunt to my children. And that happened through neighborhood groups. This morning, I'm going to challenge you to set some goals to grow in your faith so that you can experience more of the life that God intends for you to have. Today, we're going to learn how we can find life through fellowship. Here's how I define fellowship. Fellowship is the partnership between God and man through Christ. See, fellowship, the word actually means, is a Greek word, it's it's called koinonia, and it means sharing or a willing partnership that happens. The word's used nine times in the New Testament, four times in the book of 1 John, two times in today's verses. It's really important. Fellowship is the partnership between God and man through Christ. When you become a Christian, you get adopted into God's family and you have fellowship with God. And no matter what you do, he's not going to break fellowship with you. You're in. Once he becomes your heavenly father, he never says, well, I'm not going to be your father anymore because you've been misbehaving. I disown you. God doesn't do that. 
It's this partnership. It's an eternal partnership. And if we're going to experience life, we've got to understand that there, we are invited into as unbelievers to believe in Jesus and receive this eternal partnership called fellowship. Those of you that already placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have that partnership. But there's an additional, there's a partnership with other believers as well, that as you uh, begin to trust in Christ and live according to his uh, desires for, and hopes for you to experience life, that you experience life with other believers. And that's called fellowship. And even if you feel like you don't fit into in, uh, some church or Christian community, the reality is, positionally, if you've prayed to receive Christ and he's your Lord, he's your father. And every other single Christian in the world now becomes your brother or sister in Christ, no matter where you go. And so you can never really be positionally out of fellowship, though you may feel that you are. So this morning, what we're going to see is we're going to see that there's this unbreakable fellowship and the author is John and he wants us to understand how to get the life that God intends. And he writes from a fatherly perspective. But since we're going to be in this learning from the Apostle John for the next 11 weeks, I thought it would be appropriate to kind of slow down and give you an introduction on him. Here's, what he, here's John, John's family and his friends, his fellowship. John's dad's name was Zebedee. He, their family had a successful business that everybody was involved in. It was off the coast of the Sea of Galilee. They were operating a fishing business. His brother, his name was James. James was noted in the rest of the, uh, the accounts in the book of Acts as a spiritual leader. And uh, James and John together uh, meet Jesus and become followers of Christ. They get the nickname Sons of Thunder. James and John were a little rough around the edges. Being a fisherman in Galilee meant that you had to do all sorts of challenging tasks, wage a battle at sea from time to time, uh, get in on a fishing hole that works the greatest, and, and maybe uh, deal with other competitive fishermen. Uh, their nickname was Sons of Thunder. It meant something somewhat destructive or disruptive. And growing up in Arkansas, my dad and I, um, and my brothers, I have two other brothers, an uh, older brother, Rob, and a younger brother, Dave. And uh, my dad nicknamed us the Demolition Boys. Uh, we kind of like, we would get in a room and we could, I mean, we, there'd be a hole in the sheetrock within a matter of minutes of just wrestling around. And then when we got a driver's license, look out, there was fender benders on the truck and car all the time, and he would introduce, these are my demolition boys. Uh, these guys were a little rough around the edges. Uh, Peter was their best friend. Uh, Peter is uh, also uh, an apostle. And so it was Peter, James, and John. These are the early followers of Jesus Christ. They were all fishermen, and they were all in the business together. Peter had joined up with the family business with James and John, and they were all friends. And then Jesus comes along and he says, come follow me. And John's intense. John's not like a uh, halfway doing something. He's all or nothing mentality. As Bruce Arians in the Cardinals calls it, no risk it, no. There you go. That was all or nothing mentality. When Jesus said, follow me, literally John just like, he just abandons everything. He's all in. John was a little rough around the red edges. He had kind of this 
in the early days of his Christianity, he kind of had this, it's all about me mentality. Uh, when Jesus was describing heaven, John comes up with this idea to Jesus and says, hey, when you're in your future glory and you're on your high king and you're, everybody's honoring and worshiping you, Lord, I got an idea. James and I want a seat right beside you in front of everybody. Jesus is like, not a good idea. You don't deserve that kind of glory. It's reserved for the king of glory. John had kind of this, it's all about me attitude from time to time. He was also a loud mouth. Uh, one time when uh, the, a certain group of people had refused Jesus Christ as Lord, and John runs up to Jesus and says, hey, you want me to call down fire from heaven, Lord, and nuke these guys? Jesus is like, whoa, John. John's also a storyteller. He says from the beginning or in the beginning, like 10 different times. What I want you to see is John's not, uh, God's not done with guys like John. God, God will use a loud mouth. God will use an all or nothing mentality. God will use a self-centered, arrogant, prideful person and turn them into something incredibly life-giving and supportive. See, this happens all the time with believers and people that are following Christ. They meet Christ and God begins to shape and return and reshape their life. So John's ministry and his fellowship, he had lots of memories. I think when you come down to the end of your life, you'll lay on your hospital bed or in your home. And the day you know there's only days left and you will have memories. You will have uh, stories to tell. And for John, he had a lot of them. See, he'd spent three years witnessing the extraordinary life of Jesus Christ. He'd seen the miracles. He'd been part of the 12 and then a part of the three. He'd seen Jairus' daughter raised. He'd seen the transfiguration of Christ. He'd been there at the Garden of Gethsemane. He watched Rome turn upside down. He felt the persecution of the Jews rejecting Jesus in his message. He felt the betrayal of Judas he saw his Lord crucified on a cross, and he recalled the joy he felt when he saw the empty tomb. He was there at the post-resurrection encounters. He was there when Jesus ascended back into heaven. He was there when the Holy Spirit poured out at the early church. He recalled the threats of the Sanhedrin when he was told to stop preaching about Jesus. John had a lot of memories and a lot of stories. He'd lived a lot of life. He would later lose his brother, James, to martyrdom. He would be called the pillar of the church by, according to the Apostle Paul. Paul said, this guy, John, is a foundation to the whole church. He'll go on to serve pastors. He'll go on to coach and help church planters. And God would use him to write five New Testament books, the Gospel of John, the three letters, and the book of Revelation. This is John. History tells us he lived to an old age. He was one of the youngest disciples to begin to follow Jesus, and he lived to the oldest age. He preached love from Ephesus. That's his hometown where he preached about Jesus and resided there. And his life and legacy lives on. And so we find it today. We find kind of this fatherly heart of John in his old age as he writes to exhort Christians to not get off balance, but to find life in a relationship with Jesus Christ, he's going to invite the church to say, join me in this fellowship, this partnership in a relationship with Jesus Christ and with other believers. 
And so this fatherly heart we're going to see. So let's do this. We're in 1 John chapter 1. We'll start in verse 1. And I'll have you stand for the reading of God's word. And we'll, I'll read it out loud and then we'll work through the text. Go ahead and stand if you will. 1 John chapter 1 verse 1. It says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we've seen it and we testify to it and proclaim to you eternal life. That which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard and we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd show us in a greater level of of clarity uh, the joy that is before us, the life that you offer in a fellowship with you and with other believers. In Christ's name, everybody said, amen. Well, the the father's heart, uh, John is like a father and he has whispered words of wisdom for decades at this point in his life. He's got nothing to prove and no one to impress. He's been there and he's done that. And he comes to us with the heart of a father to care for the children of the church, not just physically the children, but all of us, even as the Bible describes us as uh, God is our heavenly father and we are his children. And John writes with this apostolic authority, being inspired by God uh, to write uh, books of the New Testament. There's three essentials I want to challenge you to grow in this year, to grow in your fellowship not only with God, but with each other this year. The first one is this, is that, you, that we would maintain balance in our understanding of who Christ is. You know, uh, we can have too low of a view of Christ and treat Jesus as he's just some of one of our buddies. And he's a friend. And although he is a friend, you have to remember Jesus Christ is the Lord. And we submit to him. And we can't treat Jesus as he's just some some, some friend that we talk to when we want or do whatever we want, and then we can kind of bridge the gap and all this other stuff, and there's this kind of this low uh, respect for him. He's absolutely Christ the Lord. He's the Messiah. He's the CEO of the universe. We can have too high of a view of Christ, and this can also be bad, where you think that Christ is some tyrant king, that he is so distant and so removed that he would be uninvolved with your, your personal life. But we need to have the right view of Christ. That's exactly what uh, the Apostle John wants us to have. What was going on in John's day was this heretical view a false teaching about who Christ was. It was called Gnosticism. It was the prominent heretical movement in the second century of the church. The basic idea was that Jesus really wasn't fully man or he wasn't fully God. So it was this confusion and convoluting of who Jesus was. There was this idea that, uh, that Jesus just really wasn't who he said he was. And John writes as a father and says, no, you've got to maintain incredible balance and understanding. You've got to have the right view of Christ. 
So look what he says in verse 1. He says, that which was from the beginning. He's saying, let me talk to you about what, where all this began. And he says, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life. A couple things is, first he says, which was from the beginning. He's, he's referring to the pre-existence of Christ, that Christ existed. He absolutely was God. He existed before all time. In John's gospel, he begins with that same kind of language, that he's pre-existent. He was there before the earth was formed. The Bible says that he was there before the foundations of the earth. Jesus was there. He's not only pre-existent, he's preeminent. Colossians, the Apostle Paul will say that he is above all things. He, is, he holds all things together. And so he starts with trying to help us refer and understand that we have to have this balance that Jesus is God. But then he says, I, I want to tell you, he's not just God, he was man. I, look what he says. He says, which we have heard. In other words, we heard directly from Jesus, which we have seen with our eyes and we've looked upon and we've touched with our hands. After the, the crucifixion of Christ, he was buried, and then he uh, rose again, and he appeared for a period of about 40 days, and he appears to the disciples, and at one point, uh, Thomas is one of the disciples. He says, I don't know if it's really you, Jesus, and Jesus extends his hand and says, touch the nail marks in my hand, and so he takes his doubt, and he turns it to belief and says, I'm really... God. But yeah, he was really a man. And for us to have eternal life, a real life, we have to understand that these are cru su super crucial for us to understand that there is not only Jesus is a man, but he is also God. So there's this evidence that the apostle is trying to testify to. He says there's this substantial evidence, this reliability, there's personal eyewitness testimonies. And that was, that's what makes Christianity so vibrant and so valid is there's all the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are personal testimonies saying we were with this guy named Jesus. And he really was a man, but he also said he was really a hundred percent God. And John says, we got to start here to understand. you got to maintain balance. It. You can't just say Jesus was a man or he was God. He is both. And he testifies to that. See, John records in his gospel seven signs. The seven signs are when Jesus changed water into wine or when he healed the royal official's son or, and when Jesus healed the paralytic and then he fed the 5,000 then he walked on water, he healed the blind man and then he raised Lazarus from the dead. And what John's saying is, Listen, church, I'm writing you. I don't want you to miss this, that Jesus is God. He's also a man. Keep balance there. Don't say he's one or the other. You need the right view. My wife just recently went out of town, and she left me with a car, and a light came on. It said my air pressure was low in one of my, my, my back right tire. And this morning, I'm trying to find a over down here at the Circle K to get my, my car, my tire pumped up, and the sign says, out of order. I, I, I know I need to get this thing fixed with balanced air pressure and, you know, make sure it's weighted because I've done this before. How many of you have done this before? You let a tire go for a long time. It's not filled up, balanced correctly, and it does what? It destroys the tire. 
And the same thing is true in the spiritual life. If, you, if we have an improper view and we're off balance, it can begin to deteriorate and destroy the very life that God intended. John says in verse 2, he says this, the life was made manifest. And that word manifest is used again. He says, and we've seen it, we testify to it, and we proclaim to you eternal life, which was f- with the Father and was made manifest to us. In other words, he's saying, Jesus is the real deal. This word manifest, it means revealed openly. That's what it means. Manifest means revealed openly. There's two kinds of understanding of revelation is there's general revelation and then there's special revelation. General revelation is when you walk to the Grand Canyon and you're on the edge of the rim and you look down and you see this beauty and this power in this canyon and you say, how did this get here? And there's this consciousness in every man and Roman says that everybody's without excuse that there is a God and that we can generally know something about him. We can look to the skies and look to the stars. And science books don't even tell you how everything began. They'll say, this is a theory. This is an idea of evolution. But there's general revelation. And John says, I'm not talking about general revelation. I'm talking about special revelation. That of Jesus Christ. And God made him, he revealed openly who Jesus was. He says, concerning this word of life, this is the message. This is the messenger. The message of Jesus and the messenger, Jesus himself. John says, I want you to maintain balance. You know, there is this uh, theological term I want to introduce you to. It's called the hypostatic union. And the word comes from a Greek word called uh, hypostasis. It appears four times in the New Testament most memorable in Hebrews when it says that Jesus is the radiance. He's like the the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. In other words, Jesus is God. He's the exact imprint of his nature. The hypostatic union reflects that. Here's the truth about it. Jesus is 100% God. Jesus is 100% man. And, and, And every kind of cultish group will tear that down. Jesus either wasn't man or he wasn't God. And you say, well, why is this important? Well, it's important because only God could reconcile you to himself. Only God can forgive sins. Only God can reconcile a sinner to a, 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 to a righteous, holy God. Only Jesus Christ could do that. See, only, that's what Jesus got in trouble for. He was around saying, I forgive you, you're forgiven. And, and the religious people would say, like, only God does that. Men don't do that. Why, why are you saying that? You're not God. And Jesus says, I am. I'm the Messiah. Only God can reconcile. Only God can grant salvation. Only God can fix that hole in your heart that you feel. Only God can reconcile. But only man could relate. See, in every situation you go through in life, Jesus says, I've been there. I'm just like you, and he's just like God. This has been known in church history as the Chalcedonian Creed. It states his two natures are without confusion, without change, without division, without separation. It's this admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies of the perfect righteousness of God and humanity. It's divinity and humanity coming together. 
And we need to maintain balance and going, that's life. He knows everything about me. And he has the power of God to do everything that I could never do on my own. You know, last week we did a testimony and a guy in our church was telling us, and he said, I tried in my own strength to get through the hard times that I was going through. He lost a loved one, went through some incredible uh, physical difficulties and challenges. And then he testified and he said, but I found a power and a strength that was beyond me. And it was of Christ. You can't get through what you're going to go through or what you are going through without a proper balance of understanding and say, God, you are more than enough for me. You are God. But then you can have the peace and the joy and go, you're also man. So you know exactly what I'm going through. So the God that John presents, the God-man Jesus, is the perfect balance. And the father says to his children, hey, listen. God's great enough that he can forgive sins and give you the power and the strength that you need and reconcile you. But he's also gracious enough that he would relate to you. Secondly, if we're going to experience the life that God intends for us, a life in fellowship with him, we need to prioritize the proclamation. Verse 2 says, The life was made manifest in which we have seen it and we testify to it and we proclaim to you eternal life. So he says, proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. And then he goes on in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that, let's say that together, also to you so that you too may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. In other words, John's saying, prioritizing the proclamation. The proclamation of what? The proclamation of Jesus and how he's the life. And everything the apostles were trying to get the message out into early Christianity is that Jesus is life. And there is no other life apart from him. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And John's saying is like, look, our proclamation, it doesn't just simply bring eternal life, but we're doing it and we're proclaiming also so that you too can have fellowship. So the goal of preaching and proclamation, I would argue, it forms the fellowship called the local church. When you look back at the book of Acts and you see that the church is beginning to form. It did not form until Peter stood up and started preaching the word. And then from there, it goes on and the apostle Paul picks up and he's starting to plant churches and move churches, Jerusalem and Antioch and everything. And there's preaching, there's proclamation. The church is called the ecclesia. It's also called the family of God. The church is also the fellowship. So here's the beauty. Here's the importance. If you don't prioritize Christ-centered proclamations upon your life, then every other voice competes for your attention and your allegiance, and you don't know which voice to follow. And John's saying as a father is like, there's a lot of voices out there. Gnosticism. Betraying the identity of Jesus Christ. Downplaying his divinity divorcing his humanity and rendering him impotent. 
That's not our God. And John said, I've lived a long life. I was with him. I heard him. I watched him. I was there. He's God, yet he's man. And so when we as believers downplay the proclamation and go, well, church isn't important. I don't need to hear the word. What I'm saying to you is you're missing the point of proclamation. The point isn't simply just salvation, but it's ultimately to form this incredible fellowship that God calls the church so that you can be in relationship with him. And that preaching becomes the good news, the grace that you need for that week. The preaching becomes the very word of God's word to give you the courage that you need to face that difficult situation. How many times have you gone into a church service before and you're like, gosh, I felt like that guy was talking just about me. How many times I've been in a church service myself, every time I go, I submit myself to the teaching of, as long as I know doctrine's good, preacher's good, I know it's a good Bible preaching church, I get in there and I say, God, what do you want to speak to me right now? Because this is an authoritative, precious word. And I get in there and I feel like I had an encounter with God that day. That proclamation, John says, it's so important not just to form the fellowship called the church, but it fuels the fellowship of believers. See, what I'm saying is John's arguing for his uh, generation not to dismiss the importance of the proclamation. And man, was proclamation really important at this day and time. The New Testament's not even formed altogether yet at this point. The gospel of John's been kind of like circulating through the churches. So the preaching, all the more importance. And he's saying, I know you're hearing lots of other competing voices, you know, seeking your allegiance. But if you want life, don't dismiss this proclamation. We're, we're preaching. We've been proclaiming so that you can have fellowship. He says, with us. It's like this invitation into a great community. And he says, it's not just with us, other believers. He said, indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. So as you kind of prioritize the proclamation and you say to your family, you say to yourself, God, I need your word. There's this formation of your spiritual identity beginning to root itself in a greater capacity that you better understand that you're a child of God, that you're a son of God, that you're a daughter of the king, and that you have brothers and sisters, and when you don't have family around, you do have a spiritual family called the local church. And preaching does that. It helps you to understand that fellowship, but it fuels the fellowship of believers as well. Last thing that we need to see is that we need to see the importance uh, when we decide to make fellowship a high priority and we walk with God and we live in fellowship with other believers that we can expect joy. We can expect joy. Look what he says in verse four. He says, and we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. There's already some joy there, but he's saying we want it to be completed. As you 
we're writing these things, the exhortation of what he's already written, the exhortation of what he's been writing, that there would be this joy that would be completed in his life. Like a father says to his son, son, it would make me and your mother so proud if you would do this or that. How many times you've heard those words or you've said those words. Boy, that brought me a lot of joy and satisfaction to see you do that. When you say that to a son or a daughter. Third John chapter 1, verse 3, he says, I have no greater joy. This is John speaking. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. John's saying, there's a great level of joy that comes from me just seeing you live out your faith. The Greek word for joy is used 61 times in the New Testament, nine times in John's work. Joy, it's a present joy. It's a joy that you experience. And John would say, when you're living this way and you're walking in fellowship uh, with us and following the teachings of Christ, there's this joy that will be given and completed in our life, but it'll extend to you as well. It's a present joy. And then it's also a future joy. That there's this joy that we can expect when we're in fellowship with God. This partnership with God, he said, I will be your eternal joy, your eternal source of joy. And so in the New Testament, we see that there's references when the angels appear at the birth of Christ and they say, hey, to the shepherds, they say, don't be afraid for today in this town, there's great news of great joy that will be for all people. Joy is all throughout the scriptures associated with the relationship with Jesus Christ. Joy was there when the wise men were walking and they were trying to find the birth location of Jesus in Bethlehem and they have the star and the Bible says when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Joy is associated with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Joy is used to describe the Heavenly Father's joy for the sinners and for the saints when the Bible says is that when a sinner repents, turns from their sin, and receives Christ and is forgiven, that there's this, the angels in heaven rejoice and there's this joy before all the angels. And for the saints, I mean those who are following Christ, those who have said, I believe in Jesus, are considered saints in the New Testament, Not in the Catholic sense, but in a Protestant sense. These are sinners who are positionally uh, saved by God's grace and have been called saints. We will hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. When we die and we go to heaven, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. Joy is something we can expect presently and in the future as we live the life that God intends for us to live. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. You know, first of all, is that you can expect joy in a relationship with God. As you pursue a relationship with Him in a greater capacity this fall, over the next 75 days, you can expect there's going to be this joy that will well up in your heart in your relationship with God. Uh, secondly, you can expect that you're going to have joy in relationship with other believers, um, with others. That there's this greater sense, it's the outcome, it's the result of living in fellowship with God and with His people. It's being in partnership with them. So here's the take home. I want to challenge you to do this. I want you to set two goals to help you grow in your faith this fall. 
This will help your marriage. This will help your parenting. This will help you personally as a single. Uh, this will help your grandparenting, your work. It'll help you grow personally and spiritually. Goal number one, I challenge you to uh, have fellowship with God. Now, before you get going on your work and your projects or your day at home or whatever you've got going on, meet with the CEO of the universe. Slow down and meet with God. What that looks like is maybe you'd make a commitment to say, I will read daily devotionals X amount of times per week. We've created them uh, this week to follow along each week over the next 11 weeks, uh, daily devotionals that go through, and you can find them on your phone, on the Uversion app, and get those daily devotionals. And, I, and it's simple enough. I always tell our church, you guys have heard me say this a lot, I say I never preach from the pulpit what I don't first teach at the table. So these are devotionals that I'll sit down with Sam and Riley and Maya and my wife and kids before school, just take five, ten minutes, and I'll walk through this. Why? Because I want my family and my kids to have fellowship with God. I want them to experience that fellowship and experience the joy. Second goal I'd encourage you to do is set a goal to have fellowship with believers this fall. And if you do, you're going to find more joy. My encouragement to you is do not do life alone. How many times do we try to do things on our own and it just doesn't go right? How many times do you see even the most successful and the uh, most gifted, talented people, they surround themselves with other people to offset their weaknesses and to strengthen uh, all their strengths? So I want to encourage you not to do life alone this fall. I want to challenge you to commit to being a part of a neighborhood group. Neighborhood groups are uh, groups that gather uh, here in the church. They're open to anybody and everybody that wants to be a part of North Valley a member or non-member, and we do three things. We share about what we're learning in God's Word. We share about uh, the things that we're going through in life. Uh, we care for one another, extend care where there's a need. It may be uh, helping with something that's going on in the family, uh, maybe it's something in a marriage. And then lastly, we just take time to pray for one another. I want to challenge you to have set a goal for fellowship with other believers Maybe you'd write out a goal to say something like, I plan to attend X amount of the 10 meetings to grow in my faith and fellowship with others this fall. There's 10 meetings and 10 you can do. My encouragement again is that you do not do life alone this fall. God's intended for you to experience the life. The life that only Jesus Christ could give as the author and the perfecter of life. He offers it to you. Amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you that you have clearly laid out for us in Scripture, God, that you have extended to us a fellowship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. And John testifies to that, and he says, believe, believe, Lord. I pray that we would. I pray that we'd receive that, God. We'd have fellowship with you, Lord, and that we'd have fellowship with other believers growing in this family you call the local church, your fellowship. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Thanks, guys, for being with us. We'll see you next week. Have a great Sunday. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.